friends, and welcome once again to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I am Steve McDonough with a cold. Oh, I like that, but you sound like serious, Steve. It's got like a, a gravitas to your voice today. Do you know what I sound like? I sound like, so there's this cold going around and it hit my family like nobody's business. So anyway, I sound like what my voiceover uh agent wants me to sound like because she's constantly sending me things that are for like Samuel L. Jackson types and it, always something that that's really in right now is people that all sound like in a world. Yeah, about and to say, I finally yeah. got that today. I'm finally the in the world guy. I love that. You could do the uh, the trailer for our podcast. You know, there's like a serious, uh, you know, promo stinger for the podcast. All right, get ready, people. Get ready for all this sexiness from Steve <laughs> today and well, academias. I, I was going with serious Steve, but now it's seriously sexy Steve. So uh, macadamias, yeah, so you jumped right ahead. That is our topic today. And, you know, each uh, episode we try to find, you know, some sort of fun foodie factoid and kind of build our, our show around that. And we're always sort of picking it apart and putting it back together and uh, it, but not in this overly academic way, although I am guilty of doing that. Uh, but we try to do it in a celebratory way. And today we are talking about the macadamia nuts. And um, I, I always like to throw in that little nerdy bit about, you know, uh, phraseology or defining our terms, because technically the macadamia nut is not what we're eating. We're eating the seed of the nut. So the nut is the entire the entire thing, which includes this outer casing and whatnot. So, but See, already I, I I haven't read your notes, and already I am I am surprised and intrigued. Well, it ain't you know that's where you can get most of the things we eat as nuts are not truly the nut that we're eating. But just to make things easier, we call it the nut because that's where we are. Um, but so there's there is that. So even though it is a seed, we shall forevermore be referring to it as the macadamia nut because everybody else does. And, you know, we don't want to be too, uh, too geeky. But um, I do want to mention, though, if you are uh, if you're a dog owner and I know you are macadamia nuts are deadly poisonous to dogs so even uh, even though you might not have a dog but if you're a dog owner and you get inspired to go and buy macadamia nuts just be careful that you can kill your dog with a macadamia nut get out plus dogs can die from chocolate too so i guess a chocolate covered macadamia they can't even hear the words don't oh, they can't even say it <laughs> it's like one of those magic phrases but it sounds like a delicious way to die but hey uh speaking of dogs <laughs> can we take a quick little meander a little sidetrack here because you have a you you have a history of really great dogs the two that i have oh. known um oh, really are you. some amazing dogs i'm not giving you credit for that i just <laughs> you do. uh but uh your your current dog Bo. Uh, I saw a post on your, I think it was your Instagram or Facebook there. Tell me about what Bo has been up to. I think she was a bad dog. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Is this really an interesting story? What I, happened I, was, look, my. do you have a favorite hat? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. What's your favorite hat? Well, so uh, believe it or not, it's one my uncle gave me years and years ago. I rarely wear it in public because I look like a, uh, a Norwegian fisherman when I wear it, but it's crazy <laughs> comfortable. Uh, and it's one of the it's 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 like 35 years old, but it's uh, it just fits my head, which I have a, you know, Charlie Brown kind of head going on. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I've got a favorite hat. OK, so, yeah, I we. Did just get a puppy. Her name is Bo. Nate named her Boeing because he wants to be a, a pilot. And now I've got a dog whose name, Bo, rhymes with the word no and training has been hell. <laughs> it is a fight that I had with my family and I lost it. And so we have Bo. So 
I have this favorite baseball cap that was a gift. I was doing um, Build a Better Burger competition, and we were judging along with uh, Lucy Buffett. She's uh, Jimmy Buffett's sister. She owns a string of restaurants called Lulu's. They're down in the Panhandle um, in North Myrtle Beach as well, a couple areas. And I think her cookbook is Crazy Sista Cooking. Anyway, she's a lot of fun. And she gave me this hat that says, Make Gumbo, Not War. And I've had it for 10 years, and nice. I wear it all the time. It's just one of my favorite hats. Well, I dropped it on the floor and the dog ate right through it, right, like right through it. Like one of those stories, like my dog ate my hat. It's, it is that story. <laughs> so I I didn't know what to do and I couldn't find them on her website. So I emailed Lucy and um, her, uh, her director of marketing, who we've also met because Lucy's on vacation right now. She emailed me back right away and she's like, I found one like in, in a, you know, who knows where she found it in a, in a closet or somewhere, but she found one for me and they're going to get me another one. So big shout out and big love to Lucy and uh, Gabrielle from Lucy Buffett's uh, restaurant, Lulu's. Go eat there. Get yourself some gumbo love, people. I got a new hat. Well, and, you know, the first thing I, I said was you cannot spell gumbo without bow. <laughs> you did uh, say that. Because that is the way my brain works. But I, I thought that was a great story. And only you would just sort of name drop. Oh, you know, Jimmy Buffett's sister gave me this hat. And it's like, what? well, you know, but I don't want to say that because she's she may be Jimmy Buffett's sister, but she is a chef and she makes some kick ass food. She's a person on her own. So, you you know, that the, her being uh, Jimmy Buffett's sister is really tangential tangential i just i don't yeah, know what that I, word is but i, I want to call it tangential i love it i love it and especially in your current voice that deep voice it sounds like some, a word that needs to Can we talk about macadamia okay, nuts so, for the love of peace <laughs> uh so anyway i uh this sort of common factoid right so you think macadamia nuts and everybody immediately thinks hawaii and we'll get to that story in just a moment but the tree itself is native to Australia, specifically the Queensland area, uh, and they have a lot of great names before they were named macadamia. Uh, they were called Bopple nuts, Queensland's, Queensland nuts, Mullumbimbi nuts, bush nuts, Jindili, Maruchi nuts, Kendall Kendall nuts, or Bumbera nuts. All of which sounds like great stage names. Really fun. I love it. I hate that we landed on macadamia. It seems like such an anticlimax. Uh, <laughs> Mullumbimbi is going to be my uh, my alias going forward. Uh, anyway, I, I love all of those names, but uh, those um, those were sort of what the, the native uh, you know people from Australia prior to it being colonized. That is what they called them. And let, let's talk about the nut itself because, as I mentioned, it's the part that we eat is this sort of sort of spherical white creamy white uh, round sphere but the if you saw the actual nut on the tree it's it's quite large it's like a, it's like a walnut it's got this uh, this dark green kind of outer uh, casing uh, and when you pick them they usually remove that outer casing and inside you'll see this really ridiculously hard hazelnut brown outer shell which are incredibly hard to crack open uh, I've actually tried. Uh, my uh, father-in-law brought some back uh, from a trip, and you really have to take a hammer and some enthusiasm to crack open a macadamia nut. So uh, part of the reason they're so damn expensive is they are really hard to open, but worth it. But we know that the native Australians have been eating these nuts for thousands of years, and we've even found these uh, these old stones that were specifically crafted with a little divot. Uh, and so they would they would set this really hard um, the the seed inside of this divot, and then take another flat rock and just whack the crap out of it. Uh, and you'd have to do it with the right amount of force, so you're not just breaking it into a million pieces. Uh, yeah. So, and I I just think that's fascinating. That, that is uh, cool. 
Uh, and apparently there are still some uh, some groups that still use those stones today to to crack them. Uh, so they were not only eating them as the, the nut like we do now, but they were also uh, grinding them into flour or using them to make uh, macadamia nut oil, which they would then use for medicinal purposes or even into face paints and things. So uh, it's been used for thousands of years in Australia um, for the, uh, the Aboriginal folks. Now, I, the word Aboriginal, I always have a hard time with that because I always feel like, to me, that sounds like we're classifying them but they are the original australians like whatever you you know however you want to well, call that, it that's you... right that no but that's i think what the aboriginal people call themselves as yeah. aboriginal well right. i i just i'm fascinated by that culture uh any anybody that can figure out how to crack an, a uh, a macadamia net uh, nut and make a didgeridoo has my uh, has my <laughs> affection i've uh, got a cold don't make me laugh i'm gonna cough <laughs> and you get you sound a little like a didgeridoo today on the on the sun <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, um, so I've really enjoyed reading into that. And there's, it's one of those rabbit holes that like, sometimes you're going after the rabbit and you find a badger or you find a squirrel or a groundhog. I found them all going down this. So it's, it's kind of <laughs> hard to self edit because I want to talk about all of these things, but so these native Australians would also, um, they would use these nuts as gifts, uh, when they would have intertribal gatherings, they would exchange macadamia nuts because, uh, they even though the tree itself is fairly prolific throughout that region, only the ones that get maximum sunlight would actually produce nuts. So there might be hundreds of trees, but in these sort of virginal forests, the ones on the edge of the forest that got the most sunlights would be the ones that would produce the most nuts. And so there might have been a lot of trees, but there weren't a lot of nuts. So uh, I feel like there's a there's a, um, a euphemism in there somewhere. I'm going to leave that one where it, <laughs> where it stands. But uh, anyway, so um, what's the deal with Hawaii, right? Because even when you go to Hawaii, you guys have been to Hawaii, right? We have. Yes, uh, we have a couple of times. So did they give you like the little packet of uh, macadamia nuts either going or coming back from? Well, you shop for them always. I mean, you're going to bring them back to people. That's that's the gift. And that's seriously, I, I'm surprised you didn't talk about Hawaii earlier, because I'm sure that a good percentage of people that are listening right now are like, why is he talking about Australia? Macadamia nuts are yeah. Hawaiian. So that's that These is where I have no idea what the hell they're talking I'm about. about to make that connection. So um, in 1881, a, a gentleman and plant collector named William Purvis already. I love the guy. He's a plant collector uh, <laughs> visited Australia and he came back to his farm in Hawaii. He was on the mainland uh, or the big island, I guess you should say. Uh, yeah. with, a, with a handful of these macadamia nuts. Now, he had a uh, sugar plantation there. He grew a few other things, but that was his main focus was, uh, was sugar production. And he was looking for a tree that would serve as a windbreak because they get these straight line oh, ocean winds. Right. Yeah. So even though the he trade was holding- winds, if you Yeah, will. exactly right. So he was holding a handful of nuts, but he wasn't thinking of, of this being a possible future- uh, harvest, you know, not something that for for growing as a foodstuff. He was thinking about as these trees would be perfect to block these straight line winds that are damaging my uh, my sugarcane. So he brought these nuts back. He planted them, and they they loved the Hawaiian climate. It was perfect for their growing needs. So they they didn't just survive; they thrived. And it's um, on his farm. It became this sort of anomaly, but they uh, they did really well. And he himself enjoyed the nuts, but again, it wasn't thought of as this crop per se. 
and then as history often does, it throws things at you, which creates opportunity. And in a few years after he'd planted the trees in 1899, the world's coffee market suddenly collapsed. And all of a sudden, the people that were growing coffee and sugar were in trouble because their cash crop was no longer worth as much money. Uh, and so it just so happened that on his sugar plantation, he had these nut bearing trees and sort of saw that uh, as an opportunity. Now, in 1900, and I love the fact that they waited until an even number of years, so we can always say that in 1900, right. uh, this is why my, my first child was born in January of 2000, only so that I can remember how old he is. <laughs> Easy math. It was all planning. So in 1900, when Hawaii became an American territory, uh, that was, again, right at this uh, year after the coffee market collapsed. Um, they were trying to find alternate crops for Hawaiian farmers to grow because they didn't want to have this sort of monoculture to where if the, you know, if the price dips on your one crop, you're in trouble. Right, right. So the, uh, the obvious solution was this nut bearing tree that was doing so well on Purvis's uh, sugar plantation. Uh, and again, you know, the, the sugar plantation really was uh, hand in hand with coffee, because when you, you know, there are a lot of a lot of sugary coffee drinkers in the world. So if the coffee goes down, the sugar demand goes down uh, as well. Huh. Um, so they uh, they came up with this thing called the Hawaiian Agricultural Experiment Station, and they weren't doing mad scientist kind of experiments. They were really just trying to see what kind of crops uh, and another crop that uh, came out of that uh, that very project was the pineapple. Uh, which is not native to Hawaii. Get out. Stop yeah. it right now. Yeah. So uh, it's Where, so where's pineapples from? Uh, pineapples are from uh, Central and South America, like Costa Rica, down in Belize, down in uh, Brazil. Uh, and listen, I can nerd out all day long on pineapples. They are in the bromeliad family, and I, that is my right, we'll favorite plant. We'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in it. But yeah, we'll do a listen, pineapple I, episode. I love you. all that stuff. But I just thought that's interesting that, you know, in their kind of rush to find an alternate crop to coffee and sugar, you know, we got basically macadamia nuts and, and pineapple out of it and, and, and other things as well. But um, it's like the opposite of Nicole Kidman. How, how do you make that happen? Well, Nicole Kidman, where's Nicole Kidman from? Oh, my goodness. I get it now. She's Where's from she Australia. From? That's right. She's she, from Australia. Well, guess what? She is not from Australia. She was born in Hawaii. I did. Whoa, I didn't see. Uh, oh, give him some. Give it some zazz. <laughs> yes, she oh, was. She, so her, awesome. her Hawaiian name is a uh, Hokulani. Are you are you serious right now? I am here. Are you ready for a further? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. She was named after an elephant in the Honolulu Zoo. <laughs> so instead of going Australia to Hawaii, Nicole Kidman went from Hawaii to Australia. Give it some zazz. Oh, listen, I love these. Uh, I love these callbacks, and I'm going to say give it some zang because this is like our. This is our first episode where we talked about the croissant going from austria to france and then the guy who brought it to france went back to austria oh, yeah, there's a little there's, zang there's a whole bunch of back and forth happening here I you love don't give it some zazzes right uh no you don't That's know a thing give it some zazz yeah it's uh, nicole kidman she just this is what everybody else other than you did during the <laughs> uh the lockdown you don't know what it is i have no natalie, idea. natalie editor natalie it is time for drum roll please Stop the straight guy. All right, all right, all right. Oh, so, man. So Nicole Kidman just did a movie musical of a Broadway show. It was just on Broadway really recently. Um, and it kind of graduated to this film. That is a hint. And uh, she plays Angie Dickinson. 
and her co-stars are James Corden and Meryl Streep. It was made by Netflix and every other person other than you watched this Broadway musical and she sang Give It Some Zazz and it was called... Oh, see, am I uh, am I correct in thinking she was in Moulin Rouge? Was that she was in Moulin Rouge? But so that is that is a musical? This, no, no, this is more about like uh, like trying to get this uh, 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 lesbian girl to be able to invite her girlfriend to the prom. It's about that, but it is not Moulin Rouge. But I mean, can I get a little credit that that is a musical? That you know, which... it's Mul- yes, yes, that is another I mean, one she did. I, I just want a little bit of credit that at least I knew a name of a musical which <laughs> Nicole Kidman was in. I want partial okay, credit. We'll take it. We'll take it. Credit. So you got. So she, actually, she did a couple. She also did uh, the movie musical of Nine, which is a Broadway musical, and she played Claudia in that, and she did the movie musical of that. So that's three times she did that. So okay, <laughs> listen, Hans does not know the answer. Do you know the answer? I know you do because during lockdown you were watching this on Netflix. Come to our Facebook page, but I digest podcast, and tell us what the title is. Put it in there. I will give you a thumbs up and we will give Hans a thumbs down get it in there and I will I will give you thumbs up and I can't tell you last week's stump the straight guy because if you remember Hans got it correct it was uh dirty dancing he guessed dirty dancing and and he foiled me but this week I have foiled him yeah once again to it and Hans, I give it back to you and your pineapples. You know, which is not even our topic, but I, I have to say, I love that this is, number one, this is a voluntary, we decided to do this podcast. And so every week I get to show off how smart I am and then feel so incredibly dumb at the same time. Give it some uh, zazz. I, I, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm, I look forward to finding out what that's all about. But um, in the meantime, so going back to our Hawaii agriculture experiments, the uh, I would say by any indicator, the macadamia nut experiment was not only a success, it was an incredible success. And up until about 1997, Hawaii became the world's or was the world's leading producer of macadamia nuts. Uh, so um, that is something, though, that Australia is today very aggressively trying to take back that title. And uh, they are now producing about Australia is now producing about 40,000 tons of macadamia nuts now um, that they're exporting all over the world uh, with Hawaii still in the top five. But they um, they are not the, uh, the the main producer anymore. But macadamia nuts and Hawaii have been in the news here recently because they've done a little bit of uh, in 2019. They've done some research to find out that pretty much all of the macadamia nut trees in Hawaii come from an area about the size of my hometown of Jasper, Georgia. It's a little town called Gimpy. And I hate to say, I even, <laughs> I even, I'm, tar- I'm sorry. I even looked up, it's G-Y-M-P-I-E. And I even looked up thinking, is it Jim Pie? Is it Gimpy? But no, it's pronounced- it's like Pygmy spelled. But it's pronounced Gimpy. Oh. Uh, so in Gimpy, Australia, they think that almost 95% of the uh, macadamia nut trees grown in Hawaii came from either one or two individual trees so they're all uh these clones uh that were used uh, they used grafting techniques basically to you know cut a limb off and graft it to rootstock uh and so that's really interesting from a science uh perspective but it's very dangerous for the hawaiian macadamia nut population because it makes it very susceptible to blights uh, much like the the cavendish banana right now is at risk uh, because if you have all of these clones of a plants if you there's no genetic diversity and so it makes it very susceptible to uh to diseases and bacteria and whatnot um, and the same thing has been happening with coffee. It's happening with tobacco. Uh, so anyway, a little, little nerdy stuff there, but I think it's interesting that all of, not only did they come from, from Australia, they came from one or two trees. Um, those, those original nuts have been cloned and cloned and cloned again. 
It was the Adam and Eve of the uh, it, tree it's, world. Or the McAdam and Eve, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, Macadamia Nut uh, was named by uh, somebody named McAdam, yeah? Yes, it is. Is that mine? You're giving it to me? I, I would love for all you right. to take it. All right, all right, Mr. Steal My Thunder. Yeah, so let, <laughs> So you were talking about why the um, – well, you were giving us the whole list of all those different names for Macadamia Nuts, which were much more fun than Macadamia, I agree. But the Macadamia Nut is named after a man named John McAdam in the 1800s, and he was a chemist. He relocated from Scotland to Melbourne, Australia to teach. He became an Australian politician. He was the postmaster general, but he was also secretary of the exploration committee of the Burke and Wills expedition. Do you know about the Burke and Wills expedition? I do not, but can I just real quickly say when I was just glancing at your notes, I was not wearing my glasses and I read Bruce Willis. Uh, and the I was Bruce so Willis and, yep, the Bruce I was Willis so expedition. excited to see how you're going to tie in Bruce Willis Bruce Will- to Mac- Zazz. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Burke, Burke and Wills in 1860, it was the largest guy largest expedition in Australian history. So it was kind of like um, Lewis and Clark for Australia. So there were 19 men led by Robert Burke and William Wills. And the objective was to cross Australia from Melbourne in the south to the Gulf of Carpentaria in the north. So it's about 2000 miles. Now, the deal is that neither of these guys had a lot in the way of skills or experience. So you can see that this is going to go terribly wrong, which it does. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So they left with 26 camels, that they had to bring in from India, 20 tons of equipment, food for two years, rockets, flags, and a Chinese gong. <laughs> Were they doing like the uh, the uh, the regional show of the gong show or something? Were they like taking a traveling? <laughs> what the hell was the no, gong that's how they, for? Well, yeah, how are you going to know? How are you going to know when it's time for dinner with all of oh, those damn camels making all that noise? <laughs> well, I love it. They didn't have the camels long because the wagons broke down almost immediately and they had to unload all the supplies and they loaded them up on the camels and the horses and they made the guys walk. And then, of course, they had rum, 60 gallons of rum, and they had to pour that away because they decided they didn't really need that as they, you know, because they don't have wagons anymore. Guess why they had the the rum? What do you think the rum was for? The rum Uh, was for? To keep the camels happy? Yes, it was for camel scurvy. (laughs) <laughs> camels can get scurvy it's camel scurvy yeah well oh like, my not God. if they have rum uh yeah or or pomelos famously i don't know what i'm saying but no that's i had no idea rum would uh would uh, keep away well, don't scurvy. you remember we just we were just talking about um how vodka kept the elephants from uh freezing right remember right that? yeah all right so it took them two months to get 470 miles now a mail coach would do that in a week so they were moving like two miles an hour now how and fast would a uh, how fast would a female coach do it Oh, seriously? <laughs> Natalie, just cut that out. Cut that. No, you leave that in so that you can be responsible for that. So men were either dying or resigning. Um, they ended up eating the camels and they shot the only horse. They were eating porchalaca. They were eating pythons and they all came down with dysentery. Oh. So there's a group waiting for them when they finally arrived in Cooper Creek. Now they told the group we're going to be 13 weeks, right? Well, it took them 18 weeks to get there. And the group waited for them. So when Burke and Wills finally reached Cooper Creek, this 2,000 miles, they found that the guys had given up waiting for them hours earlier. Oh, wow. Is that not nuts? That is crazy. All the research I read, all of it says that they had left hours earlier after 18 weeks. They missed them by hours. They had left some provisions under a tree-marked dig, but Burke and Wills died of starvation anyway. (laughs) Why am I laughing? That's horrible, but it is horrible. So 
uh, McAdam had a hand in that. So also McAdam was recorded as being one of uh, an umpire at one of the earliest games of Australian football. We wow. don't know why, but I can tell you that the game lasted for three days and ended with no one winning. That sounds like a that sounds like a soccer match right there. But uh, I didn't know Australian football. You can end in a draw. I guess so. Uh, they did. Well, at least when he was an umpire. So in 1865, he was going to New Zealand to give uh, testimony in a murder trial because it involved the use of poison. He was an analytical chemist. Right. So along the way in on the on the ship, he fractured his ribs in rough weather and then he died at sea at the age of 38. 38. Yeah. Wow. So after his death, the royal botanist Ferdinand von Mueller. I, you know what? You with your voice being as deep as it is right now, I think uh, I want to have that as my ringtone. You saying Ferdinand von Mueller? Ferdinand von Mueller. I love that. Uh, he had also been on the Burke and Willis Exploration Committee, and he named the nut after the late John McAdam. I, you know, I really would never have known because macadamia. I mean, I hear like academia, academia or yeah. I, I would have never heard the name McAdam in there. Yeah, right. Because the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. <laughs> yeah. But now I don't know why I tried to find out why I guess that he really liked him. Um, all I can say is that apparently, uh, by all accounts, McAdam had not ever seen a macadamia nut tree. He'd never tasted a macadamia nut. But I can tell you that uh, the royal botanist Ferdinand von Mueller had never married. So you draw your own conclusion. Oh. Is what I'm saying. You draw. You draw that conclusion. It's, nice. I'm, not, I'm not putting. I'm just putting it out there. People are saying. I don't know. Gossip. So <laughs> I just outed poor Ferdinand von Mueller <laughs> after 150 years or whatever the math is. You do the math. I'm not. It, it math. was bound to happen. <laughs> so in the late 1930s, that's when macadamia nut candies became commercially available. And this is what was really interesting to me about this. You were talking about the going to Hawaii. And I was really thinking a lot about that because when you go to Hawaii, you always go and pick up macadamia nuts and bring them to people. So I was wondering about those ABC stores. Have you, have you been to Hawaii, Hans? I have not. No, it's on my list, but I've never been. All right. Well, there's ABC stores are everywhere it's a kind of a convenience grocery store they are everywhere and uh, i thought it was pretty interesting i wanted to kind of look into that it's owned by uh a, the family name is kasasa sydney K kasasa owned it uh his parents immigrated from japan and they owned a grocery store and he worked there he grew up working in the grocery store and his dad told him he'd make more money as a pharmacist and so he studied that at uc berkeley and during world war ii he was sent to an internment camp and that's where he met his wife, Minnie, and he married her in the camp. Now, I just say that because every time I bring this up, because every time I read something like that, it still just shocks me when I read about American internment camps. No, it's a sad part of our history for sure. It, yeah, it's, it, always, it always catches me off guard. So anyway, I just think it's really interesting that he met his wife in the internment camp, married her, and had such great success. And but you know, there's just a quick aside. But you he met and married his wife in the camp. It's just like when you hear about even during you know the the Nazi World War II, people still made music in those camps. Like the human spirit to still find and create joy to me is so inspiring. In the absolute worst moments of life, you can create joy. Yeah. We should end there now. I guess. No, I'm, so, I'm go, sorry. Go home, everybody. That no, was beautiful. I'm sorry. That was free, right, though. No, don't I'll be sorry. Free advice. <laughs> so, free, uh, free inspiration. So he already owned a string of drug stores um, once they got out. Uh, and his first convenience stores were called Mr. K. 
um, he he was the first one to see the tourist potential in uh, Waikiki because he was looking at Miami saying, hey, we could do this here. And so he changed from the drugstores to the Mr. K stores and he renamed them ABC stores. And here's a little quiz because I know you love a quiz. <laughs> ABC stores. You tell me what they and, and seriously, aunts, they're on like every corner. They're great. They're great stores, but they're nice. on every corner. So what does ABC stand for? Did Sydney Kasasa name it ABC for all blocks covered? Aloha, breezes, and coconuts. Nice. Alcohol, bikinis, and candy. Or nothing. It's just easy to remember. You know, ABC makes me think of in elementary school, people would ask, hey, do you want some ABC gum? And then you'd say yes. And they would give you a wad of already, already been, chewed. been chewed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, of those, I would love it if they sold alcohol, bikinis and candy. So I'm going to pick that one in the hopes that that's what it is. Well, they absolutely sell alcohol, bikinis and candy. Nice. Absolutely. That's what that's what they do. Um, they sell everything there. Uh, that's where you go when you get your chocolate covered macadamia nuts and your little hula girl that kind of dances yeah, yeah. And on your dashboard, all of that. Um, no, it actually doesn't stand for a thing. He's like, oh, ABC <laughs> will be easy to remember. So it is, isn't it? It is also in the uh, the beginning of the phone book. That's where you see like the bail bondsmen are always like, you know, five A's and then Fred's bail bondsman. But, you know, the more A's you have in front of it, you, <laughs> right, the, right, right. the better placement you get. So he's at the front of the, the, uh, the phone book. Right. Uh, so anyway, this is where everyone goes to buy their chocolate covered macadamia nuts. So I made me wonder, is ABC the biggest macadamia retailer? Because mm. like. Where else do people like we don't buy a lot of macadamia nuts in general. It's not like it would be, uh, you know, the jewel supermarkets or the shop, right? Or whatever you're the Piggly Wiggly, although I want everything <laughs> to be Piggly Wiggly. But so I wondered. So I wrote them a letter. I did my research. Wow. So I said I was wondering, like, how many pounds do they sell? Are they the biggest retailer? And their PR person, Wendy, uh, reached back to me. And she said, aloha, Steve, with an exclamation point, because, you know, it's Hawaii and they're friendly and they're nice. And she basically said, I don't know. <laughs> and then she said, determining pounds is hard. It is. It's uh, yeah, it requires weighing. And but she agreed. She, she agreed. She said, I agree that this information would certainly be fun facts to know. Thanks for reaching out and have a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs> Mahalo. I love That's her, I got. Uh, her cheery, optimistic ignorance. I love that. Yeah, like, we don't know. We don't know. We're really not. I don't have time to look into it right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm selling alcohol and bikinis here. I don't you do your research, That's Steve. Right. Mahalo. That's right. Mahalo. So that's all we got from Wendy at ABC. Well, I've never been to one, but I did see something about that at ABC. The only time that it came up in my research was that they sell a spam dust flavored so they actually have like spam dust that they coat on the outside i of have those do you really I have those are they good um they're okay they're they're fun gail bought them for us gail gotcha. uh, gail gandon we have a thing about spam which is a completely different show but yeah she brought them back from Hawaii awesome. for me that's nuts yeah there you go there there's there's my little there's my little uh history give it some zads <laughs> Well, we got uh, we got some uh, we worked up an appetite and a thirst. Let's uh, let's do some recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So typical me, I hate recipes in a very formulaic sort of way. So I, I hear an ingredient, my brain starts thinking, and I like to keep it simple and stupid. The old kiss uh, method. 
And my first thought was a nut encrusted fish. And so mm-hmm. I've had a few over the years. I mean, I think they're fantastic, that crunch, uh, but it has to be the right fish. And me being in the North Georgia mountains, even though geographically it's far away, but a rainbow trout with kind of a 50-50 blend of panko and some rough chopped macadamia. And you do it in butter. So not, not oil, go butter until the butter just starts to brown. Uh, and then I do the fish, I dredge it into flour, then beaten eggs. And then in that 50-50 mix of macadamia nuts and panko, and I'm gonna brown it on both sides. So that on its own, little salt and pepper, you're, you're golden. But serve that on top of a little wilted arugula. And then I make this lemon yogurt vinaigrette, which is high in probiotics. And I get all kind of, you know, sciencey on that stuff. But I'll, I'll put the recipe up for the vinaigrette. It's really good on anything, but particularly on wilted arugula with this nutty, brown, buttery, macadamia encrusted trout, I think will be a fantastic meal uh, with macadamia sprinkled on top. Oh, I, I would eat the heck out of that. that no tartar uh... sauce required. No, 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 don't you, don't you dare. Mm-hmm. That sounds delicious. See, I thought you were going to do some uh, macadamia cookies as the recipe that I kept coming across for uh, white chocolate macadamia nut cookies by someone very famous who owns a 40-acre organic macadamia nut farm. Do you know who that is? Please tell me she's not in a musical. Uh, no, <laughs> although she did try singing and it went very badly. Ah, gotcha. Roseanne Barr. Oh yeah, a 40 acre organic macadamia nut farm on the big island of Hawaii. Wow. And uh, in the, the Chicago Tribune, I found her, her recipe for uh, macadamia nuts and white chocolate and coconut cookies. And by all accounts, they are supposed to be delicious. Well, we should share a link to that as well. Sure, I'll put that in. Um, she had a lifetime ro- uh, reality show based on this called, called Roseanne's Nuts. There's a shocker. <laughs> it lasted three months. So one reviewer said, mostly it's just Roseanne being Roseanne on a macadamia nut farm. Yeah, and it probably felt like it was a three months. That half hour show probably felt like about three months. Yeah, it, did, it didn't look like my favorite. So I am going to stick uh, to Hawaii and go to the St. Regis in Princeville. St. Regis, uh, beautiful um, luxury spa kind of hotel, resort hotel, I should say. Uh, it's wonderful. We've been there. It's kind of perched on the cliffs of the Hanalei Bay, and it closed. They just sold it. They closed in uh, last May, 2020. So it's going to be a couple of years while they rehab it. It's going to become an ultra luxury um, hotel, I believe called One Hanalei Bay. But they would do a macadamian old fashioned. Wow. Yeah. With uh, Suntory whiskey, Japanese whiskey, an allspice liqueur, macadamia nut liqueur, and Angostura bitters. So a couple things, you know, I usually like to give you guys recipes that are very easy for you to make at home, but this one does require you buying some other ingredients. You know, the Japanese whiskey, if you don't have it, I don't mind that you substitute rye. The allspice liqueur, when we closed our restaurant, I had many bottles of it. So I, I know that uh, most of you don't. Uh, call me and drop by and I'll give you half a cup of all of the bottles of allspice liqueur I have. <laughs> Careful. And the, mac- <laughs> the macadamia nut liqueur is made by uh, Trader Vic's, of course. And we're going to have to talk about Trader Vic on another show. But, you know, the famous Trader Vic's restaurants, sure. right? Uh, they do a really delicious macadamia nut liqueur. Um, so, yeah, that just sounds like a really, really fun way to do an old fashioned. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that recipe and we'll enjoy that. The uh, so, so with the old fashioned, what defines an old fashioned? Can you give me like a quick definition? Because I get confused between that and a Manhattan. A Manhattan is uh, whiskey with sweet vermouth and the um, old fashioned is whiskey with the sugar cube and bitters. Ah, okay. 
And the old fashioned is what uh, Don Draper would always drink with the orange and cherry. The orange and cherry that you would muddle in there is not the original recipe for it, but it kind of really became the way to drink it in the 50s. And I, I talked about this in my book, The New Old Bar, that if that's good enough for John Draper, I'm like, that's fine. I'm going with that. So I, I will muddle the orange and the uh, maraschino in there. It ups the cool factor. He could drink uh, like Listerine and it would be like, well, Don Draper had that, you know? Yeah, and he smelled great. <laughs> the only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. By the way, there's uh, a, like I was saying the St. Regis was in Princeville. And just really quickly, I wanted to tell you how Princeville got its name because it's, I think it's interesting. At the same time as John McAdam, there was another Scotsman who came to Hawaii to you know, make, his, make his fortune named Robert Wiley. He became the Minister of Foreign Affairs to the Royal Court of Hawaii, and he had a large planta plantation on uh, Kauai's North Shore, and he was hosting King Kamehameha IV and Queen Emma and their two-year-old son, Crown Prince Albert Edward Kaukiaoli, and then his last name has 19 letters. Wow. I can't 19. wait to hear it. Here we go. Wait, seriously? Of course. All right. I didn't even practice this. Le and you know, in Hawaiian, you pronounce every letter. Le-i-o-pa-pa-a-kamehameha. Wow. 19 letters. Yeah. Anyway, he was the crown prince and heir to the Hawaiian throne. And he was Queen Victoria's godson. And so Wiley renamed the estate the Barony of Princeville, which was much easier to call it Princeville than le-i-pa-pa-a-kamehameha. And um, he called it Princeville, but Prince Albert never did rule Hawaii because that little boy died at age of four. Oh, no. Very, yeah, isn't that sad? Oh, also, um, the uh, what's his name? Uh, I've already forgotten his name. Um, Robert Wiley had another section of his, his estate that he named after Queen Emma, and he called it Emmaville. But people were like, no, no. So they stuck with Princeville. Emmaville never did stick. Nice. I uh, I want that as my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> what me saying? Yeah, me saying the album. <laughs> That's my ringtone. I love it. All right. So if you would like these recipes, uh, please check them out at our website, which is butidigestpodcast.com. You can email us at butidigestpodcast at gmail.com. Um, visit us on Twitter, butidigestpod. Facebook is also butidigestpodcast pod a couple people that we've never shouted out and i think we finally need to do some shout outs our website was done by hewitt rabel our editor is natalie DeChico. our theme song which is so cool brian reyes additional music by Corey goodrich and uh the logo which is really cool was done by hansa's daughter ella thank you ella okay are we done here we are done aloha is that the correct place to say that yeah aloha and mahalo cheers <laughs> <laughs>